Lucky you. Best 36 holes in golf. You tuned in to Alternate Shots Podcast. Barney's Army. Where we talk about golf. Barkies, Sandys. Poker. Bond. James Bond. Horse racing. I'm all in. Great movies. Alfred Hitchcock. We have no script. And down the stretch they come. We're glad you joined us. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. (laughs) (laughs) Whoop. Let's start again. Hey, Alternate Shots fans. Happy New Year. 2024 is upon us. And uh, Billy and I are back in the saddle, so to speak, today. Today, we are going to be talking about sports betting and maybe even uh, deeper down into horse sports betting, horse racing. And we're lucky Billy might share some handicap 101 tips for us. Go to the track like Keeneland here, you can see, or Gulfstream or the Belmont or in uh, Maryland, the Preakness. By the way, the Derby is going to be on May 4th, Billy, this year. The Preakness on May 17th. And then something's interesting. Uh, the Belmont's not until June 8th, and I guess the governor of New York kind of is working that into sort of the uh, Saratoga season. You know more about that. Well, the reason it's going to be at Saratoga is because there's construction going on at, at uh, Belmont Park. Ah. <laughs> um, so that's going to, I don't know if that's going to be a one off, if they're going to move the whole season up there. But anyway, this is 2024. And as they used to say at the track, mornings make all things seem possible again. So 2024 is a fresh new year for everybody. Uh, and if you're awake at all and on any kind of media, you know you're getting, uh, sports bet pimp to death they they want you to bet everything including in game some places even have in race betting back to the mornings thing so if you're a diehard horse race better and you just got pummeled on friday at what what time is saturday morning is it four o'clock five o'clock are you up all night like uh, richard dreyfus and let it ride is it is uh, the, the dawn dusk morning of hello you know once that sun well, comes over the hill <laughs> Yeah, well, it actually starts the night before because you're picking up a daily racing form on your way out of the track and looking for a way to get out the next morning. And, you know, you're licking your wounds that night and you're hoping for the best the next day. And, you know, if you're an optimist, you'll find the best the next day and you'll and you'll keep plodding away. But if you're a pessimist, you're doomed and you shouldn't have been there in the first place because the odds are against you in all of these things from start to finish. Because rule number one is, with sports betting is the bookies are smarter than you. That's all there is to it. So they know these lines and they know how to make the uh, odds. And then the public changes the odds when they bet, you know, so oftentimes there'll be an anomaly. For Not instance, everybody could be a Billy Walters at, at, you know, a plus, plus, plus over 30 years of a good sample size sports better. Those no. of us that dabble in it, maybe through some big races, you're better off sticking with the $2 or less kind of a bet to have fun and not to lose a bundle because you're never going to break Belmont. You're never going to break the Derby or the casino that's backing them. No, exactly. As as a guy at the casino once told me, uh, we never lose because we never run out of money. (laughs) You know, the casino doesn't have to go into their secret pocket in their wallet and pull out the stash or they don't have to report home later, you know. They're going to survive, and they're not going to make, and they're not going to present the bet to the betting public that is in the betting public's favor. Well, so you you know, if you're Rick in Casablanca, when three twenty twos 
mysteriously <laughs> in a row on the totally. might have run out of money but with the fourth or fifth one of those in a row but that that's a great scene and uh one of our favorites right that's a black yeah how are we doing tonight well a few thousand less than i thought but, <laughs> but you know bogey was showing that he had heart for the uh he was sympathetic to the cause of the young couple to get out of casablanca after starting out by saying you know they say they might die in Casablanca. And he's like, what of it? I might die in Casablanca too. But he he warms up because underneath that cold exterior was, you know, the heart of gold. That's, that's what make Hollywood tick. But <clears throat> Bogey was not a jockey no. or a bookie. He's short though. He was short, but he uh, he was big and stature. He was. What do you need to be the jockey? About four foot ten, four foot eleven, five. Well, some of them are taller. It's more their weight. They have to, you know, it's a, it's a jockey's a tough job. And if you listen to some of the uh, pros, the jockeys and how they warm up and, and work out, it's rigorous. And, uh, you know, they're, they're little and what they're riding is gigantic and sometimes hard to control. And, you know, if they lose their foot, if they lose a stirrup, for instance, which is what happened to Affirmed when he was running against Acceler and Seattle Slough years ago, the jockey saddle slipped. So he's just holding on for dear life the whole way around. It kind of put a little asterisk on that race for me, but it was an amazing race. Uh, Acceler beating Seattle Slough in the end. But I don't think Seattle Slough in that loss ever ran a better light race in his life. He he kept up with a firm in, in ridiculous fractions for a mile and a half. The the half mile, the, the uh, six furlongs was 109 and change, which is unheard of in a mile and a half race. And, and Slough was still there at the end. An amazing race. I was at that race. Only race that Seattle Slough lost? He lost a couple. I don't think there's many that have retired undefeated. I know Flightline, the uh, the rage of the last year or two years, the f retired undefeated, but he only ran six times. So, yeah. you know, that's like, you know, making Daryl ran? Probably 15 or so. Because they don't really start running for – Doe until they're what two and then they run three. Yeah, they, they start at two and then the big races, the triple crown is at three, and then the big handicap races are for three year old and up. And SLU ran as a four year old, the firm ran as a four year old, Secretariat ran as a four year old. The, the amazing thing about Secretariat, who's the Muhammad Ali of horse racing, or, or you know, I don't, I, the, he's the, the standard bearer. If, if they always compare you to, to, Secretariat, or like they would to Babe Ruth. Um, but when Secretariat was getting ready to retire, they decided to try him on the turf, maybe to see how he could do it and if it would help his breeding uh, line, you know, his, his uh, stud fees, because if he proved he could run on the grass, that, that makes him a more attractive sire because they knew he could run on the dirt. So they ran him twice on the, on the uh, grass. And not only did he win both those races, he broke the track record in both of those races. So and even Secretariat got beat by uh, twice by Alan Jerkins, uh, rest in peace. He was one of the greatest trainers of all time. They called him the giant killer because of that. He beat uh, Secretariat twice with two different horses. One was named Prove Out, one was named Onion. Uh, and, and that put Alan Jerkins on the map for me. And as I've said before, Watson, who brought me into this game, turned me on to that whole thing with Alan Jerkins. Which brings us to one of the more important aspects of handicapping horses, in my opinion, which is the trainer. Those are the guys closest to the to the scene. 
an example of uh, how good trainers are versus the betting public and the information the betting public is privy to. There was a horse named Out of Hockey years ago who was going to be great. They figured this could be a derby horse, a triple crown winner. Who knows? And he ran and ran and ran, and he was very fast, but he he he, he didn't pan out to be the greatest horse of all time as, as they thought he would. So I was at the track the following year, and they were running out of hock at six furlongs on the turf course, which I thought was absurd. This is ridiculous. You know, what are they thinking? This horse was supposed to be a triple crown winner. Now they're putting him at a short distance on a different surface. So I kind of scoffed at them only to watch out of Hawk win easy and set a track record. And then that day I realized, you know, there's somebody bigger than Phil. There's, they know more about this than I do. All I have is, you know, black and white print in front of me. They have the horse. So it taught me to look more at the connections than I had in the past. So if you're going to handicap horse racing, you get into the daily racing form or whatever. Some people look at sheets. There's, all kinds of timing sheets. And you, you could go deep dive into the science of, of uh, horse racing and still come out like baffled by the winner. So it's almost impossible to give somebody an accurate way to handicap. So it becomes sort of a matter of preference. So if you sent me to Gulfstream down here, find yep. myself a, a novice, I know how to get to the betting window. I know how to open my wallet. That's about it. And you said <laughs> to me, there's three trainers that I'm quite fond of. And I think they're at the meet down there in Florida this uh, this January, February. Look out for them. And you might want to put a fiver on on any time that trainer's got a horse. Is is that good advice? And, uh, and I can't read the rest of the racing form. I just take that little cheat sheet with me and I say, okay you know blah 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 Aiden. yeah well especially with someone like uh aiden o'brien for instance who wouldn't be there unless he was probably had a good chance you know a, a, a track like um any any track has a whole slew of trainers and jockeys that spend the meat there but now and then you'll have a top-notch trainer or a top-notch jockey who is not a regular there that shows up with a horse for a big race like when the pegasus comes up that's going to happen they'll be you know, horses and trainers from that aren't regulars at Gulfstream. And they deserve some attention. I, I, with me at this stage of my life in handicapping, nothing's automatic. It used to be, I, I would have given you a tip years ago about Alan Jerkins that on a big day like Derby Day, you look for Jerkins at another track because he's under the radar and he's going to steal a race at, at Belmont that day or something like that. <laughs> that was almost infallible and you'd get a nice price. But nowadays, uh, the, the way it works with the, everybody's accessibility to all the handicapping and all the tracks, it, you know, online, you can watch races all the time. If you have the time and you're really interested in it, you can look at replays of races. You can look at the, uh, at the guys who actually do this for a living and handicap the handicapper. So you can, you know, you follow this guy or that guy, this sheet, there used to be a guy named Lawton who was two dollars a sheet i got the daily double and all this other stuff as you see and let it ride that you know where he's calculating how much the guy makes for selling the sheets but there is no definitive way there are some days where it looks like a horse can't lose you know and the jockey falls off out of the gate or he gets stuck in the gate so you have to take so many things into consideration just like in sports betting where the, you know 
do the Giants really need to win this game? You know, are they going to risk injuries to their best players on a meaningless game? Are they going to try their hardest? All those factors come in. So it becomes very situational. It's it's a it's a a puzzle. It's an interactive puzzle, which is what makes it so exciting for people who like it. Because yeah. like I've said before, when they're right, they're, the elation is inexplicable. Yet you also have to trace your steps. And I go back to the Derby, where we were all over Forte, but we were putting up Mage, putting up Mage, putting up Mage, and we didn't listen yep. to our own podcast. <laughs> because what, yep. at some point, was the day before or that morning, Forte was a scratch. Exactly right. The unquestioned favorite in that race scratched. And what did we do? We went back and recreated the wheel when we could have just rewound the podcast as, oh, Mage. Yep. Taking taking our second choice. Yep. The the public are the ones who end up making the odds because it's power mutual. So you know, the more money on one horse, the lower the price. Uh, you know, so you'll have what they'll call uh, vertical and horizontal bets. And a, a, a horizontal bet would be like a daily double, a pick three, or a pick four, where you have to pick the winners of one, two, three, or four races in a row, five or six if you're going that far. So obviously, it's that's much harder to do. The pools are. Um, bigger because people are putting investing in that because they're trying to win a big race so you you know the 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 smallest way to win is a win bet it's the easiest way to win when when i say easy it's the basics because there's three bets that everybody should know win place or show first second or third right right bet on a particular race of eight horses and you're going to pick and I remember in you talking about early on in your career, you had put a 20 down on a horse and your friend Watson said that horse can't win. You went and found another horse that he recommended and put 50 on it. You never bet two horses in the same race uh, to, to be first, right? You've never done No, that. that was the only time. And Star Spangled was that horse and he did win. And he went on to win some more money for me over over the years. Um, yeah. He's in my he's in my personal horse racing hall of fame with Affirmed and Ali Dar and John Henry and Zenyatta. Mm-hmm. Another horse named Razor King. That that, you know, you get some sentimental favorites, and that can sort of cloud your vision in handicapping because you're, you know, you know, like betting the Jets or the Giants if they're your team. It's hard not to bet on them if you're gonna bet football, but you don't always bet with your uh your head uh, instead of your heart so so what makes you think about let's say you picked um archangelo in the belmont which you did and and then what makes you think about saying hey i think i'm going to spread some money around the show or place what in what influences your action there why would you do that to uh, as a hedge but I'm not much of a place to show better. And that's that's not to say that it's not a good technique because, I, you know, Chris loves to bet place, win place. It's a good hedge because if you're almost right, you get your money back and sometimes you make make money on it. Um, that's just not my style. I, I try to go for the jugular. So I'll bet on basically win and exactus. Those are the two bets that I am strongest with. Well, talking about exact as most people now we're talking still at the 100 level, we're not getting too crazy here. But you know, we've talked about the win bet. And you could put $2 down on any horse on a win bet. 
But now you get into exactas and people think, oh, I'm not going to do exacta. That's going to pile up. I, I just came here with $50. I'll, I'll, I'll pee away my $48 on an exacta. But that's a misnomer, right? You can pick exactas uh, uh, very uh, affordably. Yeah, you can. If you're gonna, if you're a two dollar better, you play a two dollar exacta box. You pick two horses that you like the best, and you and you hope they run one two in either order, and it costs you four bucks. But the payout will be general, unless it's two big favorites, will be better than just a win bet. Right. So if you have the favorite, which is uh, say uh, three to one in the particular race, and then the other horse you pick in your exact is like a ten to one, and they come in first, second like that. What's that going to pay? Uh, that's going to pay a lot better than what your favorite bet would pay. Oh, absolutely. Three to one on top of 10 to one for two bucks will get you 50 or 60 bucks. Wow. Leverage. As opposed to eight bucks for the, for the win. You invested $4 and you got 60. You came with 50. Now you got money to play with house money the rest of the day. Exactly. That's that's what our aim is. That's what the aim is. That and hitting the last race, because if you hit the last race, you know, you're leaving with that money because there's nothing else to bet on. So an exact yeah. is a vertical race. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, it's a it's a first first place, second place, third base place bet. So a vertical bet would be an exacta or a trifecta or a superfecta. It's all horses in the same race. So exactly. A horizontal bet, you're betting, you're trying to get the winners of the first race, the and then another race and another race and another race. So first, second, third, fourth race, or first, second, third, fourth place in, in one race. Vertical is first, second, third, fourth in one race. Horizontal is uh, first, 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 first in four races. On a vertical uh, superfecta, yes, I've hit, you know, for thousands. If I bet a superfecta, I'll bet uh, a, a superfecta box, a dollar box is 24 bucks. That's and then you need, to, you need to finish first, second, third, and fourth in any order. But the four horses you pick have to finish first, second, third, and fourth. So a superfecta minimum bet is four horses, dollar box. What's that cost you? 24 bucks. The 24 bucks is a minimum for the opportunity. Well, no, you can actually bet a 10 cent superfecta. So you could bet $4.80. Okay. Yeah, but if you're just betting on your concept of a dollar across, it's $24. And then right. that equates to whatever the superfecta pay. You have one ticket. Yep. So if the superfecta pays fourteen thousand seven hundred, and you have one ticket, that's what your ticket's going to get. Correct. Twenty four bucks. Now that's pretty good leverage. That's a big yeah, one. but it's also a very difficult bet to win. That's why it pays that much because the amount of money that goes into the pool is distributed among the winning tickets. So there, the, there's few. If it pays a lot, that means there's very few winning tickets. Yeah, so and the same thing with the with the horizontal bet with a pick four or a pick five. And those, those you know, the the way to play a pick four or pick five is you don't play one horse, one horse, one horse, and one horse. You play three horses with four horses with two horses with four horses. So you have coverage. And that you those are fifty cent bets. So if you were going to play, let's say you're going to play three horses in four in a pick four, three horses in, a, in each of the four races, that, that would cost you $40.50. That's it. That's it. And in that, you have every combination of those three horses in the first, second, third, fourth race in, in, in a row, whatever. Correct. The fourth, yep. fifth, sixth, seventh race. Is there a particular time where they have those that, or you can do it anytime you're at the track? No, they're, they're specific races. So, you know, 
at most tracks these days, uh, the first race is the beginning of a pick five. The second race is the beginning of a pick four. Then there's always pick threes and daily doubles the rest of the way. Then there's a late pick five and a late pick four. And then the last six races are usually a pick six. Some places have a 20 cent pick six, some min minimum bet. Some places have a dollar minimum. It used to be $2 minimum. So back in those days, if you hit a pick six, you hit it for a lot of money because with a 20 cent pick six, a lot of people will get in there because you could bet 18 or 20 bucks right. and, and have a lot of coverage. You're not getting paid a lot. But with the $2 pick six, to have that much coverage is going to cost you, you know, hundreds of dollars to bet. Got the highs and the lows. What's the median amount of money on a day-to-day -day basis a horse better do you think is betting? Yeah, there's all kinds of levels. So I, I probably um, more bet bet more than average people do. You know, bet more than um, you know the casual better, but not as much as you know the professionals. So you know, professionals will sometimes if they're. It, the best way to, exam to examine this is by looking at a pick six. If nobody hits the pick six on a given day, which happens frequently, the money that's bet carries over with the exception of they, there's some consolation payouts. But the majority of the money that's in that pool stays in that pool till the next pick six, which would be the next day, at which point that pool gets bigger and bigger. So sometimes you'll have a $60,000 carrying over which will encourage more people to try for it. And that'll make it a $260,000 pool. And if nobody hits that, then you're talking about over a million in the third day. Similar and when you get in, well, it's like the lottery, except you have, a, you actually have a better chance of hitting a pick six than you do at hitting the lottery. But what will happen when there's that much money carrying over is groups of conglomerates will get together and they'll bet a lot. They'll put, They'll have a $20,000 ticket or $30,000 ticket because they know if they hit it, they're going to hit, you know, balloons, as Watson would say. Right. So as you told me earlier, when you're betting, looking at the sheet Friday to go bet on Saturday, you're looking for those carryovers. You're seeing what carried over. I don't like I'm, I'm not a daily pick six player, right. but if, if there's a carryover, it gets my attention and I can find out easy enough if there's a carryover in the pick six. And and if you're watching it on TV, like FanDuel or TVG or Twin Spires, the announcers are going to tell you there's a pick six carryover. And what makes it even more, another wrinkle to this is if it's the last day of the meeting, for instance, if this was Gulfstream's last day and there was a pick six carryover, they have to pay out. Even if nobody hits the pick six, then they pay out whoever hits five. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it gets crazy when there's a when there's a big carryover and it's the last day. This is our 101 sports betting, horse race betting 101, right? Let's kind of yeah. cover the concepts and why don't you tie all this together? So I'm going to the track. What is your advice and maybe win that $50, $60 uh, ticket? I'm assuming that you're going with somebody who's been there before because you, you don't, most people don't just. Yeah. I am. I'm not going with novices. So you ask them, I would say, first and foremost, following your hunches is important because as silly as it is to handicap on hunches, if you like a horse because of the name of the horse, and then the expert you're with tells you the horse has no chance, so you don't bet it, and then it does win, your day's ruined. 
So there's nothing worse than being talked off a winning horse. So even the best analysts will tell you, I would never talk you off a 10 to one horse. I don't care if I think it's got no chance at all. I'm never talking you off a long shot. If you want to bet it, you should go out and bet it. It's two bucks. And and for fun, and this is this is simple, but there's a there's a handicapping theory that I that's decades and decades old. I don't know where it originated. I should look that up, but it's called the Holy Ghost. And what that means is the first number that repeats in a day comes in a third time. So if the four horse wins the first race and then the two wins the second and the three wins the third and the four wins the fourth, according to the Holy Ghost theory, the four is going to win another race that day. And I've seen that work countless times. I've seen it fail also, but it's a fun kind of easy way to do this. I was at the track years and years ago with my friend Adam. And we had hit a bunch of races in a row. And the last race, there was a live Holy Ghost, which means the nine horse had won twice. And had, and this is the last race. So if the Holy Ghost is going to work, the nine horse is going to win the last race. So I said to Adam, the nine's the Holy Ghost. We should put 20 bucks on it. He's like, what's the Holy Ghost? So I explained to him what I just explained to you. And he said, you know, you're kidding me. You're, you're just you're pulling my leg. And I said, I'm not. So we went to the window and I bet the nine horse to win. Laddie's Luck was the horse's name. And Adam said, you're going with that Holy Ghost thing. I said, ask, ask the guy. Ask the paramutual guy. So the paramutual guy says to Adam, yeah, it's when the number repeats twice, it'll come in a third time. And Adam says, you, you told him to say that. You guys are pulling my leg. And the paramutual guy said, maybe his sport is softball. <laughs> Laddie's Luck, by the way, Laddie's Luck paid 40 bucks that day. Bringing back to, to what you were saying about, you know, tips for going to the races, that would be the first thing I'd, I'd tell people. Watch that movie because you'll you'll learn a whole lot about not necessarily how to handicap, but the side effects of handicapping and, the, and the, the incredible number of ways people look at horse races and come up with different front courses. Wraps. I always bet on the horse with front wraps. Yeah. I knew a guy years ago at OTB, Eddie. He would, if the horse had front wraps, he wouldn't go near it. So he was always checking the equipment. Yeah, that's when when I first started doing this. I spent a lot of time at OTB in Times Square, and I got I got two educations, or actually more than that, but not only an education about horse riding, but about horse players and the spectrum that they come from. Guy lawyers in suits, and you know, guys who are asking if they can borrow two bucks are all in the same place and they're all cheering for the same stuff. So it's, it's quite an interesting world and it's really encapsulated very well in that movie and, and let it ride. It's well, a, they, whoever made that movie knew what they were doing. The characters. At the and as exaggerated as it gets in some places, it's not that far off of what you know has i've seen happen at tracks over the course of my life and especially at otbs can you get uh i have one last question can you have that fun in horse racing and horse betting and trying to figure out your own system whether it's the holy ghost or not not at the track in other words just going on one of these online betting sites can you do it sure Is your sure same yeah way? Yeah, it's like it's not any different than, you know, watching golf versus playing golf. 
and playing golf, you know, some days you're hitting it. You don't know. You can't explain it. Ball's going in the hole today, and the next day it's not going in the hole. That happens at the racetrack. Sometimes you're seeing it clearly, and sometimes you're not. Sometimes you think you are and you're not. Sometimes you don't think you are and you are. So it's something that's going to change every time, which is what makes it exciting. That's the beauty of golf, too. So there's a similarity. Hey, this is great, Billy. We're going to do another episode more advanced at some point. We've got to get back to some golf, but you you listeners have told us you like the gambling, you like the golf, and you like to listen. We'll try to produce. Yeah, and I would like to do some comedy movies, too. I just watched the Marx Brothers recently. In fact, they at the races. They're the, they were hilarious. Hey, try. Try. Who you like in the first, huh? Who you like? Who you like? Come on. Try. Come on, tell me. Come on, it's cheese. Try. Who you like? Uh, the number four. Oh. The number four. <laughs> Whispering. <laughs> Nobody in his right mind bets the four horse. Why are you laughing? Well, at least we have a laugh to add at the end. Right. We're, we've gone from 12 handicaps at this to 19 handicaps in just a week. <laughs> that, that's what happened. Somebody changed my grip, and the next thing you know, I can't do the podcast anymore. I felt like I was in the first row of the uh, first pew at church right during the sermon. <laughs> and your brother was poking my you. Brother, my brother was making me laugh. Thanks for joining Billy us Casper, today. Billy Horner. We really appreciate your Double feedback. Indemnity. And please... Marky. Subscribe to the show, hit them hard, and hit them off. That's 36 holes.